Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Aimstone channel. I am with the one and only Luke Broyles. He's a real estate and Bitcoin investor. Uh, Luke, how, how are you? How are you doing? Hi, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, absolutely. So let's start with uh, the first question. Maybe you can give us, actually, not question, maybe you can give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, my main background is in filmmaking. Um, I was I was and am still a filmmaker, uh, have been for many years. It's one of the things I've loved doing. Um, I love telling stories. I love telling stories because they impact people and help people, I think, think differently about the world or get people emotionally invested in topics that they may not be interested in otherwise. And uh, which, funny enough, in many ways is how I've gotten to Bitcoin and why I've thought so much about Bitcoin. But um, my background my background was in filmmaking. And when I realized about five years ago or so that technology was just making the film business more and more difficult uh, to, to monetize and do what you want within it, monetizing, you know, like I remember back when film cameras were used more often by the Hollywood movies and there was an actual, you know, debate whether film or digital was going to be the future, right? I remember going to film festivals and, you know, that was the big debate. You know, there were panels on it and Q&As and it was, it was the question everyone had technologically wise, right? You know, along with CGI and other things. But, um, but yeah, a few years ago I was like, you know, I should, you know, learn more about other things too besides you know filmmaking just just because you know it, it was it wasn't so much the movies themselves that i cared about it was telling the stories and um helping people making an impact and doing something that was intellectually um let's say difficult enough to be engaging and perpetually interesting and so um so i, I went down the real estate rabbit hole for a while and which you know quickly gets you into the money rabbit hole uh, well, really, first it's the real estate rabbit hole, then the economics rabbit hole, then the money rabbit hole, and then the Bitcoin rabbit hole, um, yeah. uh, you know, last at the end. And then that's kind of the last rabbit hole you get until you get into smaller rabbit holes within Bitcoin. But, um, yeah, all I have to say is that's how it came to Bitcoin. Um, I really came to understand it in late 2021, early 2022 of uh, understanding its uniqueness and understanding the humanitarian impact of Bitcoin for the present and the future. And so when I realized that, that's kind of when I not just started learning about it, but I I went all in, let's say, in terms of my reputation and my energy. And um, I've not looked back since. You know, there's still lots of other things I work on, but uh, Bitcoin is my main, it's my main focus now. So now you're a full-time Bitcoiner, basically. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you, you can say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but why why Bitcoin look? Why Bitcoin? Well, um I think for the last 2000 years, uh political currency, mo uh, monetary energy being controlled by political institutions is one of if not the single largest uh technological problem of the world's economies, right? Uh, money is what we use to communicate economic value and, and free markets to each other. And so the lack of a free market and money or the management and distortion of economic value via political interests is a massive economic problem. And it's one that's been around so long that I think we kind of forget it's a problem, right? In the same way that the ancients uh, and many times didn't use disease as a problem just because it was 
considered normal, right? Or in the same ways that we may view aging as a problem today and not a disease, you know, that there are certain problems in the world <laughs> that, um, that we don't really view as a crisis or we don't really view as a, an immediate urgent disaster or threat because they've been around so long, we're simply used to it, right? And so, you know, the ancients overcome these things. And I think today, one of those main problems is that we don't have a language of economic value, right? It's it's as if we didn't have English and Mandarin, and instead we were speaking a thousand different local dialects, right? I mean, it's it's kind of the same way today. You know, we, we have 140, 130, 140 different political currencies around the world, all these different languages, and Bitcoin is like English or Mandarin that is a way to communicate with others. And now that it's been invented, now once you see it, I think it's very hard to unsee it. It's very hard to going back to wanting to communicate um, just verbally when now you have the written word and you have a universal written word. So that's that's why Bitcoin, I would say. I think it's uh, the best opportunity for me on an individual level. I think it's the best opportunity for you know my immediate family, friends, and connections uh, on, on their individual level. I think it's the best for the world on a global level, both in terms of preventing disaster or collapse, whether that's inflationary collapse or that's war or that's famine or political unrest. But I also think it's the best opportunity for the world in having the best future possible, right? And that's actually perhaps even a more dangerous possibility not to pursue, right, than pursuing pursuing the bad thing. Because if we're on this exponential curve of change and tech adoption, uh, you know, the one of the most dangerous things we can do is slow the rate of that curve, right? Our, our population is an exponential curve. Our energy needs are an exponential curve. And the thing that I think is going to increase that curve the fastest to keep up with our demand is having a universal money that's going to help us communicate more effectively. So for, for all those reasons, for my own self-interest, uh, for the self-interest mm -hmm. of those immediately around me, and for the interests of others, uh, both in a paranoid, pessimistic, self-protective way, as well as an optimistic, helpful, and ambitious, um, altruistic viewpoint. In all, in all those ways, uh, Bitcoin to me seems to be the most efficient tool at our disposal to achieve all of those visions. Right, uh, great uh, answer. Um, as we know, like countries around the world, they have like self-invested interest, especially when it comes to fiat currencies because they can print them. So um, it will be very, I think, difficult for them to like give up their money printer and focus more on Bitcoin. As you know, like, like El Salvador already did, but maybe some other countries in uh, South America and, and uh, Mid-America will do the same. Um, what do you think? Do you think Bitcoin can actually be as a uh, global reserve currency? Yeah, do I think could it? Yeah, I, I think it will. Um, yeah, El Salvador proved that it can be done. Um, I was in El Salvador uh, just recently. I went. I went to El Salvador. I went to San Salvador, um, Bitcoin Beach, El Zante. You know, it's a place in the world arguably with the most Bitcoin adoption by far. You know, the probably. 80% of merchants were using Bitcoin, right? Now, granted, that doesn't mean that the majority of their transactions are in Bitcoin, it's still in dollars, but 
it was amazing being there. It was my first time being there and and seeing the adaption firsthand on the ground. Um, you know, I, I got to interview Max Kaiser on stage about El Salvador. Um, I got to talk to a few locals and a lot of uh, people that were moving there, a lot of Americans and Canadians that were moving there. And it, it was it, it was it was pretty cool, you know, to, to walk around and use Bitcoin in real transactions, you know, buy coffee and buy lunch and buy desserts and travel um all with bitcoin it was it was quite strange because you know the first five six transactions using lightning network there i mean right. you know obviously i've done many lightning transactions before but you know actually being there and using it to where the people you know don't necessarily speak fluent english and i necessarily don't <laughs> uh, speak speak spanish, spanish right? um that well but you know enough to communicate you know basics what i want and, and what i need and how much is it and then i pay and then they understand but it's it, it was so strange to you know despite you know moderate level language communication right getting back to my point earlier that monetary communication was seamless right i could use lightning they didn't give me a weird look they didn't roll their eyes or say it's going to zero you know they just used it and so the first few times it felt weird but after the end of the first day and after the end of a few days later it just it was strange how amazing it was it just felt normal which you know makes you even more bullish because you realize oh my goodness when people adopt this they're going to think it's weird for the first few days then they're going to think it's kind of normal right the hard part is not adopting bitcoin or lightning on the technical level the hard part is helping people understand how to think of Bitcoin differently than other uh, forms of money. So that, that's that's the hard part. It's changing mindset, not changing the tech itself, because the tech, uh, in many ways, is there, and where it's not there, it's getting there. So so anyway, yeah, I definitely think it could be reserve currency. Um, I definitely think it can cross the language barrier. I think it definitely can cross the generation barrier. Uh, it's just a matter of education and the technology getting a, a little bit better. As far as the countries you mentioned, yeah, I mean, El Salvador... Like I said, obviously, you know, I, I was there and, um, you know, it's it's um, accelerating rapidly, I think. And I think there are many other places that are going to be accelerating rapidly, right? There's rumors of Colombia. There's rumors of other South American countries. Uh, you know, Argentina, Guatemala. Yeah. Yep, yep. Guatemala integrated Bitcoin in their most recent election, you know, not as a form of money, but as a form of security. Uh, Madeira in Portugal, you know, has been, has been trying to get it. So even though places haven't been directly uh, adopting as legal tender, the effort is definitely there, right? And then I think actually Bitcoin mining might even be the first before Bitcoin the money as as legal tender, right? We, we saw that in uh, Bhutan and a couple other countries that they're mining Bitcoin, right? You know, granted, these are small countries. El Salvador's wanting to mine Bitcoin with their volcanic energy locally. But, you know, I, I think it makes sense to me that Bitcoin mining could be integrated before the money because... Bitcoin mining is useful for stabilizing the grid. And so, you know, if we if we look at, again, technology, money is technology. Let's compare it to another paradigm. If we look at the locomotive, the locomotive is not adopted first as mass transit on the nation state level. The locomotive is adopted first as transporting goods in interest of national security as well as armies, right? If you're, if you're a country... In, in the locomotive race, right, we think of the space race, but if we're thinking of this in a locomotive race, like the first use of the locomotive or the most important one to you is how do I move my army faster than the enemy? How do I move my guns faster than the enemy? How do we move um, our coal and our silver and, and our timber and our food um, across the country? You know, that, that's, that's the first step before you get to 
how do we transport, you know, everyone, all these passengers, you know, across, you know, it, it's a much lower level of national strategic importance, you know, eventually, it's a much bigger deal. Eventually, it's eventually that is an adoption curve that dwarfs the military use. But I, I think I think with Bitcoin, in many ways, that's something similar to what we could see with Bitcoin mining versus the money. Um, Bitcoin mining stabilizes electric grids, it incentivizes the adoption of renewable energies, and it, and it monetizes what otherwise would be wasted energy. And so I think when countries and companies, but particular countries, realize, oh, if we integrate Bitcoin, we can make our energy grid a little more efficient. Oh, we can reduce the number of blackouts and brownouts. And then we can make our energy sector more efficient. We can make our military more effective. Uh, we can give our country a very quick, cost-effective leg up over all the others. And so I think, funny enough, people say Bitcoin can't become reserve currency because, oh, they'll never accept it as money. But the funny thing is that even if they hate Bitcoin as money, even if they sell Bitcoin constantly, whenever they're perpetually buying Bitcoin, they just sell it because they hate it. They don't want the asset. Like, I think funny enough is that they'll be forced to adopt it for the sake of if we don't adopt this, our electric grid is now significantly weaker than all these other surrounding nations. And we can't have that economic military or political threat. We'll get voted out of office. Our enemies become military uh, stronger in a military sense, and our economy is needlessly weaker, right? For no point, you know. So, anyway, that was a long answer, but I think there's many aspects to Bitcoin having that stepping stone of becoming uh, a reserve currency, and I think it's going to be very interesting to watch that unfold. Right, uh, for sure. Um... Yeah, as you said, you think that they will be forced to adopt Bitcoin as a global reserve currency, but as of yet, I don't think they will give up on their money printers because if they give up on their money printers, they will have to adopt either like gold or or a Bitcoin, and it will take away like government power and give more power to the people. I don't think government are willing to do that at least yet. What do you think about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I I don't think they'll give it up willingly, right? You know, if you are breeding horses. The, you know, I mean, you can be like, like if your business is horse breeding and raising and selling horses, like the thing you hate most is the locomotive, right? I mean, you even yeah. love your, your fellow competing businessman that's also breeding horses. You like them more than, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you may not like them, but you, you like them a lot more than, than you like the locomotive, right? Likewise, if you're a big bank today, you know, like if you're Bank of America, like, yeah, you may not like JP Morgan, but you hate Bitcoin, right? Um, you know, or same thing with the government. You know, the government and the bank, the only difference is one's public, one's private, right? Both of them essentially right. have money printers, except the government says, you know, 20 times larger and it has, you know, 100 times the control. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I don't think these public or private institutions are going to want to adopt Bitcoin willingly in the same way that they didn't want to adopt the internet willingly or the locomotive or the car or the airplane or any of these other things. But again, I think they'll adopt it sooner than people expect because eventually they'll realize they have to adopt it out of necessity, right? I mean, we see this already in the United States. You know, we see we see Bank of America going out and buying uh, MicroStrategy stock. We see these ETFs coming along. Larry Fink 
you know, is going out on national television. Five years ago, he called Bitcoin an index for money laundering. Then three years ago, he said that, oh, clients have no interest and it's absurd to think they'll ever have interest. And then two years ago, he said that Bitcoin not only has interest, but it's one of the most in-demand topics from clients. And now in the last few months here, last three, four months since mid-2023, um, Larry Fink's been calling Bitcoin a flight to quality or, you know, been citing crypto. You know, really what he's citing is Bitcoin specifically because they're mostly <laughs> focused on the Bitcoin ETF right now. But point yeah. being is that, you know, the Bank of America is the Larry Finks of the Black Rocks. And then as well as, uh, you know, you have Jason Lowry of uh, the Department of Defense, right? People, you know, like him or hate him as personality. That's a separate question. The reality is that there are people within the U.S. government, you know, in particular, the energy sectors, the military sectors that are understanding Bitcoin, in my opinion, faster than the Elizabeth Warrens and <laughs> and the Congress, right? You know, the, the, so... The, the people in the know, the people in charge, the people in charge of large amounts of money, the people close to the money printer, and the people close to the the faucet that is the American government and the American government uh, military industrial complex, these people, I think, are starting to realize that, okay, Bitcoin may not be going away. We maybe should pay attention to it. And so I think within five years, uh, those groups will be starting their Bitcoin adoption curve and the rest of the world will still not understand why, right? You know, people might view that as a negative, right? Like, oh, you know, it's just propped up by Larry Fink and, you know, the American government or whatever, right? You know, so so that fear will change. But um, yeah, I think it's very early. I want to make that clear. Uh, but I do think in the next couple of years, we'll start seeing key components of these institutions start to cater into adopting Bitcoin. Um, you know, the other the other sections, institutions might resist it, right? You know, I mean, if we think of uh, a media company adopting the Internet, you know, 5% of that media company might go and become bloggers and start making, you know, posts on the Internet on behalf of the company, and the other 95% might be against it, you know, and so there's kind of this conflict between the two factors, you know, the two, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the two entities within the company, right? And so I think that is probably what we'll start to see in the next few years is that we'll have this section of of the legacy system, right? You know, like Fidelity, for example, has been mining Bitcoin since I think it's 2014. Don't quote me on that. Um, you know, and, and they have various reports, many of which calling for very high price targets for Bitcoin, like billion dollars plus, uh, you know. So, you know, take that for, for what you will. There's a lot of controversy there. But point being is that there there will be this 5% of the legacy system that's either Bitcoin curious or openly Bitcoin or, you know, Bitcoin's a singularity kind of personality, right? right that yeah. range will be within that 5%. And then the other 95% will be at odds with that, you know? And so I think that will be the source of, you know, major bull and bear markets and narratives in the future as we eventually shift that to where in 20, 30 years, it's 95% and 5%. So, yeah. Right. Um we also know that Elizabeth uh, Warren uh, last year, I think she, with, con with conjunction with other banks, she wrote uh, like anti-money laundering bill, essentially would ban Bitcoin, which is a bunch of BS. Um, and this year, that bill actually got more traction. Um, what do you think would happen if United States would actually uh, pass that bill? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I get that question a lot. Um, I work at the Bitcoin Advisor where I help people um, custody their Bitcoin and multi-sig um, vaults. And uh, one of the benefits is that I talk to people all the time that are not in the U.S., right? 
uh, you know, Canada, Europe, um, Asia, in particular, India and Singapore, Australia. And so I get this question a lot, you know, especially from foreigners, you know, because one of the things that we can do is help people um, have keys in different countries, right? Which for people into Bitcoin, that can be of huge interest. And so that that's a question I get almost <laughs> daily. Um, <laughs> in fact, probably at least half the meetings I do, that's a question that comes up. And perhaps it's a cop-out answer, but I always say the same thing, that the U.S. has the best property laws in the world you know as much as americans can complain about the u.s it's like we have the best property laws and so in the foreseeable future i'm going to hope and assume that that continues to be so right i mean yeah there's um there are overreaches in freedom of speech or overreaches in property rights there are obvious overreaches in the monetary system right we all know that we all have seen that since 2020 yep. in particular but would i rather uh, test my free speech here in America, or would I rather go <laughs> test it in Germany, or would I rather go test it in China, or would I rather go test it somewhere else in Europe? Right? I mean, North Korea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, if you want to get if you want to get really dramatic, yeah. But um, yeah, point being is that yeah, sure, Elizabeth Warren, you could say is a threat. Her bill, yeah, sure, you could say is a threat. I mean, the reality is, if you look at Elizabeth Warren's track record, it's kind of it's kind of funny, right? If you look at how many bills she has proposed, I think it's over three hundred. Yeah. I think it's three hundred five, three hundred and eight. Don't quote me on that, but. I think it's over 300, and I don't believe any of those have passed, you know. So I will start to become concerned about this bill from Elizabeth Warren when she passes any bill. So um, so we'll see. Um, you know, ultimately, though, the funny thing is that even if she succeeds, which, again, I doubt that she succeeds, but even if she succeeds, number one, if you're holding Bitcoin in a multi-sig vault and, and your keys are um, distributed appropriately – um, you know, you can flee a country very quickly, right? If you become a refugee, you know, you can flee a country very quickly and your Bitcoin can be protected, right? Uh, you know, we saw, we see this with examples in Ukraine or Afghanistan. Um, if you want to get really, um, to, to an extreme scenario, we saw that in Afghanistan and Ukraine, people fleeing the country, uh, because of the Taliban, because of the, the Russian invasion and Bitcoin was, one of, if not the only asset to help people protect their wealth, right? We saw that with the Canadian truckers uh, d during during their protests of, of recent years. You know, Bitcoin was the only money they saw, right? They didn't get the money from GoFundMe. They didn't get the money from cash. They didn't get the money from the banking system, but they got their Bitcoin, right? And so, you know, even if Elizabeth Warren succeeds, as long as you have self-custody of your coins, it, single sig, multi-sig, it doesn't matter. You know, I think multi-sig is probably the better idea if you're specifically trying to protect against that jurisdiction risk. But point being is that, um, you know, if you actually have custody, you don't have it sitting on Coinbase like a silly person. <laughs> so if you're watching right, this, get your coins off exchanges. Um, but, but point being is even if she succeeds, if you have self-custody, if you made a plan beforehand, if you if you had all that set beforehand, like then, okay, you're all right. And then beyond that, the harder they ban it, the faster it comes back, right? I mean, China, when China banned Bitcoin, you know, in 2021, they shut off Bitcoin binding, um, you know, and that gets back to the technological examples earlier. They shut it off. They wanted to resist it. Uh, and Bitcoin hash rate fell, what was it, 30, 40% in a matter of weeks. Yep. And now it's recovered and almost tripled its sin, I believe, right? So yep. the, the harder they ban it, the faster it will recover, right? If China's ban was not as strict, it would have taken... A longer time to fall off and then probably a longer time to recover but because it was so dramatic the recovery was more dramatic right it's the same it's in the same way the more dramatic the recession the more dramatic the following money printing 
In the same way, the more dramatic they ban the locomotive, they ban the internet, or they ban Bitcoin, the more vigorously it will return because there's a greater incentive for right, others yeah. to leverage that arbitrage. I actually know one uh, friend of mine. I'm, I'm from Ukraine. I'm not sure if you know that. But uh, one friend of mine actually flee Ukraine like two years ago when the war started and he had Bitcoin. He flew with the Bitcoin. So basically he had he's not worth with him. But on the flip side, my father, he's a real estate developer. And uh, when the war started, since then, he did not sell anything. So we can see like comparing like real estate to Bitcoin, like liquid versus illiquid asset is a totally different game. Right, precisely. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm glad your friend saved his money. I, 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 yeah, I didn't you. know, I yeah. didn't know that story. I, I've heard many others undergo the same thing, um, and it's, it's bittersweet, right? Again, it goes back to, it's the crisis. That's the crisis we don't realize, right? Nobody talks about, oh, the refugee crisis of, you know, none of them can transport their money, right? Everyone just talks about other things right, yeah. in regards to refugees, right? But the reality is that. If refugees in their fleeing could also bring their life savings with them, that's a huge benefit to everyone. Number one, it makes the threat of invasion lower because now you can't directly confiscate the wealth by their barrel of a gun. Number two, the refugees that do flee going to a new place, it means that they actually can start on their feet, right? Which means that it's a, a, light, a slightly light, lighter burden on the nation they're fleeing to. You know, it, it's it's better for everyone. It lowers the incentive to war in the first place and it it, it, it lowers the incentive for the country the refugees are fleeing to to shut them out you know i mean in, in every aspect it makes it better right so um or, or at least it makes a horrible situation slightly less horrible so yeah. um but yeah that, that's that's reality billions of people are living under monetary authoritarianism yeah, yeah unfortunately uh, going back to the united states uh so I was actually like uh, thinking, yes, they can ban uh, Bitcoin and Bitcoin will just go, technology will just go overseas. But on the flip side, if they do not ban it, I believe as of like two years ago, I saw some article that says like roughly 20% of United States citizens own some amount of Bitcoin. So just imagine if Bitcoin would go like 10x, for example, how much taxes they would uh, get from U.S. citizens like by doing nothing. So I think that would be very beneficial for U.S. government just taxing people who, who have uh, crypto and Bitcoin. Yeah, I, I disagree with the 20% very strongly, but I agree very strongly with what you said after that, you know, like, so 20%, I do not well, believe I, that. I'm not so sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I okay, yeah. good, yeah. <laughs> Anyone um, with a, a brain and a little bit of time in the space knows it's not 20%. <laughs> So, so right. yeah, so, so you, you get it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like, let's think about it. Okay. There's 300 and what? 325, 330 million Americans. Okay. What's 20% yes, of that? 60 million people. Yeah. Yeah. So, so 60 million people. Okay. So 60 million right. people. Yes, um, there are only 1 million Bitcoin, um, wallets with more than one Bitcoin. I think there's only 4 million Bitcoin wallets with more than a 10th of a Bitcoin. Um, you know, so yeah, maybe 60 million people have bought $5 of Bitcoin on right, Coinbase yeah. or Venmo or Robinhood, but they <laughs> they haven't adopted Bitcoin, right? You know, p people that buy, you know, a thousand dollars of Shiba on Robinhood or people that buy, you know, a few hundred dollars of Binance token or whatever 
on some exchange, you know, these aren't people that understand Bitcoin, right? And, and I'm not putting them down. That's just the reality, right? You know, you wouldn't say right, someone yep. that's bought, you know, $1,000 of a penny stock or a meme stock understands Bitcoin, right? So why would you say that with people that threw a few extra dollars XRP on, you know, whatever? So, so yeah, I, I do think the real numbers orders of magnitude lower than 20% adoption. Like, I don't even think it's 2% adoption. I think we're talking like maybe 0.2 or 0.5% adoption. So it's at least a factor of 10 lower, maybe even closer a factor to 50 or 100. Um, now, with that said, to your other point you made, um, yeah, I, I think the government would be stupid to outlaw it again, because if they outlaw Bitcoin, that makes that that in the short term might benefit their political interests and their lobbyists. So they very well still might do it. But in the long run, it makes their energy grid wicker and means that they can tax less money. And it means that, you know, if their economy is a little less prosperous and they have less wealthy people moving in, then they're going to want to, you know, then they're going to want to ban it less. Right. I mean, if the Bitcoiners are the future high net worth people, don't you want your country to attract the high net worth people? <laughs> I mean, <Yep. laughs> you know, that, that's that's the reality. If Bitcoin's correct, the people who have already adopted Bitcoin are the top 0.1% and the people about to adopt Bitcoin in the next few years here are going to be the rest of the top 1%, the top 5% of the world, right? I mean, you know, on an extreme example, let's look at Michael Saylor, like, you know, in the billionaire class, that's what you can think of Michael Saylor, right? Michael Saylor is the new top 0.1%, in fact, less, but, you know, he's the top billionaire of the billionaires, and the next, you know, few dozen billionaires after him to to copy him are going to be the top 1% of billionaires. You know, it's the same way with the rest of the world, right? And so why would you want to disincentivize a um, Bitcoin-obsessed, laser-focused person like Michael Saylor from getting ahead of country, right? It's like, like if you tell Michael Saylor, oh, you know, you can't be here, like, come on, like, what's he going to do, right? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, so so if you're a country and you have a brain um, and you have a long-term vision, you're not going to, you're not going to kick the Bitcoiners out. And when you do, you're going to be as apologetic as possible to bring them back as quickly as possible. So we see it already with El Salvador, right. you know, they didn't ban any Bitcoiners. That's not what I'm saying, but you know, they're, they're offering people easy pass to citizenship uh, to El Salvador just for being a high net worth person bringing in your Bitcoin, right? And people could say, oh, that's unfair all they want. But the reality is that El Salvador wants to attract people with high net worths because they'll build apartment buildings and build resorts and, and bring jobs to the area. You know, I have, I have friends building hundreds of units, hundreds of units of apartments in El Salvador, right? And they're high net worth people. And they're doing it because they can, they want to, and they want to go to a better jurisdiction and a, a pretty place. And, you know, the government makes it a little easier for them to do that. So. Yep. hundred um, percent. Yeah. If they would ban a uh, Bitcoin, I think a lot of like Bitcoin entrepreneurs would move to like a uh, Bitcoin friendly countries like yeah. El Salvador. But additionally for, for the past, I think decade, what United States did, they locked people in so technically if you want to give up your citizenship they will uh tax your wealth like 40 50 percent and additionally like application to give up citizenship used to be cost like 40 years ago like 50 dollars now it's five thousand dollars five dollars for what for the piece of paper to put your name on this is insane they just want to lock you in which makes uh no sense but yep. anyway uh look um yeah we know like uh in the united states like some banks they 
want to like ban Bitcoin, other banks, for example, like BlackRock, like huge institutions, they're actually looking for um, a Bitcoin spot to have approval. Why do you think why there is a, such a big conflict of interest between banks? Why do I think there's a conflict of interest? Because um, they want to make money, but making money is a threat to their existing system. It's as, it's as simple as that, right? I mean, you are the horse breeder and you hate the locomotive, you hate the locomotive because it's a threat to your business model. But then you look at the locomotive again, you're like, holy cow, this is a really big deal. And I'm going to make way more money being being a uh, uh, railway man, or, you know, be, building locomotives than my massive horse empire today. You know, and so it's like, I want to make money in that. You know, so I'm going to speculate in that. I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to allocate my time to that. But then you realize the more you do, the more you're undermining the rest of your business model, right? And, you know, and I want to clarify, this is why, this is fundamentally why when people or institutions adopt Bitcoin, this is precisely why it is so fast is because it does not make sense for very long to have both feet in both paradigms, right? If you are... 100% in the horse paradigm, you are violently against the locomotive, right? If you are in the locomotive paradigm, you are violently against the the horse paradigm. But if you are dipping your toes into the locomotive, you know, basically, the more you dip your toes into the locomotive paradigm, the locomotive system, the faster and harder and more dramatically you are undermining the rest of your business model, right? So that's why people adopt it so fast is because once they start moving a little bit of energy, they just decide to move it all because keeping it there, they are themselves putting it at higher risk, right? It's like it's like realizing you're on the Titanic saying, oh, maybe I should t tiptoe into the lifeboat. But as you tiptoe into the lifeboat, you know, the, the more of your weight you put into the lifeboat, the faster the Titanic starts sinking, right? And so it's a feedback loop. It, it, it's your own self-directed feedback loop that happens at your own pace, but because nobody's stopping you at your own pace, that's why you make it as quickly as possible, right? I mean, myself and others often call Bitcoin fire insurance, but I like to say that Bitcoin is fire insurance on a house that is already burning down, and the faster you buy that fire insurance, you are you have to pour... <laughs> <Most expensive ideas. laughs> yeah, you, you have to pour a, you know, a bunch of gasoline or kerosene or whatever onto the house, right? The more fire insurance you buy on the house that's already burning down, the faster the house continues to burn down, right? You know, and I mean this literally, like, you know, like, okay, let's say someone's watching this and, you know, they've got a bunch of bonds and a bunch of stocks and, and, and whatever, uh, or, or cash, you know, let's say money in the bank. Okay. And then they're like, okay, I want a 5% Bitcoin allocation. So, okay, they sell some of their bonds, they sell some of their stocks, they withdraw some of their cash from the bank, and they go buy Bitcoin with it, lock it in cold storage because they're smart and they're not going to leave it on an exchange. Um, and then they realize, wait a second, I just drained, uh, you know, I, let's just say for them, one Bitcoin is a 5% allocation, right? Let's say this is a this is a pretty high net worth person, you know, $50,000 of Bitcoin, 5%, you know, they're a millionaire, right? They're a millionaire, you know, and again, they're 30 million, you know, they're, they're 30, no, not, excuse me, no, they're 60 million millionaires in the world, right? 58, 60, something like that, okay? 60 million millionaires, let's say some of those 60 million take the 5% allocation, roughly $50,000 per Bitcoin, and they lock one Bitcoin down in cold storage. You know, again, not the ETF because they're not gullible, um, but because they're smart, they'll actually get cold storage Bitcoin. 
Um, let's say they do that. Okay, they've bought one Bitcoin. Again, only 5% they're worth. Something that's going to be an easy sell for them, especially once they start seeing the Bitcoin ads are all around. Okay, they'll realize, wait a second. The whole thesis for Bitcoin is that the bond market is going to have lowering demand perpetually into the future. The whole thesis for Bitcoin is that the banking sector is already insolvent and has had a 0% reserve ratio since March of 2020. Okay. And the other part of the thesis is that exchanges are draining and there's only 1.7 million coins left on exchanges. Wait a second. I just put one Bitcoin in cold storage. If 1.7 million of these other millionaires like me do exactly what I just did, then it's over. No more Bitcoin to be bought, right? Or wait a second. If just a tiny fraction of people withdraw as much cash as I just did from my bank account, then it just implodes. FDIC is insolvent. doesn't matter. They'll just print the difference. Like, yep. wow. That, that's what I mean, right? That's why you see people go from, I hate Bitcoin, I hate Bitcoin, I hate Bitcoin, to I'm all on Bitcoin. They start shouting Bitcoin as fast as possible, right? Many people watching this have probably seen this with their family members, how quickly they go from zero to 60, let's say. They probably see it in themselves and they don't realize why they saw it happen so quickly. Uh, Michael Saylor's the same way, right? In in January of 2020, he probably had a similar opinion to his opinion back in 2013 that Bitcoin is a speculative tool with a similar phase online gambling. By by end of year 2020, Michael Saylor was converting as much stock into Bitcoin as he could, as much of his personal net worth into Bitcoin as he could, you know, as, as many of his assets into Bitcoin as he possibly could, and, and raising as much debt as he possibly could to buy Bitcoin, right? People thought he was crazy. But he made that transition really fast, right? And so my, my, my big picture point here for people is that, you know, I, I think there is that conflict. But I think the important thing to understand is that people on an individual level, on a collective level, it will take a long time. But on an individual level, people don't remain in that, you know, little bit of both mentality for long. Because I realize that the increasing conviction they have in Bitcoin simultaneously compounds the lowering conviction, everything else, in the same way with any other technological paradigm, right? That the faster you start investing in internet companies, the faster you stop investing in newspaper and and radio companies, right? It's the same. It's the same dynamic here. Same thing with the locomotive. Same thing with the internet. Now, same thing with Bitcoin. It's interesting you said that a Bitcoin is a insurance on. A house on the fire. I think, yeah, this is you're definitely correct. Just people don't see the fire yet. And uh, uh, Greg Foss likes to say a Bitcoin is a credit default swap, which is insurance on the bond. Um, yeah, I definitely can see that if something like blows up, Bitcoin can have like a God's candle or something like that. What do you think about that? Hello? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, people often refer to the quote unquote God candle. Um, yeah, I, I don't <laughs> – it, it's funny. you know, When you go down that Bitcoin rabbit hole and you start thinking about this fire insurance metaphor and everything else, you know, you start out you – know, it's like the bell curve meme, right? You start thinking that, oh, $100,000 per Bitcoin is something that's reasonable and it's bullish, right? Then you think, no, more like half a million is something that's reasonable and bullish. I think you're in this long enough that you get to my point where you're like $100 million per Bitcoin is bearish, right? <laughs> you, know, you, you, just, you just get to crazy stuff. You know, um, and people outside of that have trouble hearing that, you know, so I'll try to break that down. But th that's the reality that if you want to be intellectually honest about Bitcoin, you know, and you have both feet in each and you're actually 
genuinely considering the bullish case for Bitcoin and the bearish case for Bitcoin. Like if you want to actually talk the bullish or at least neutral case for Bitcoin, then yeah, it, it should go to $100,000 per Bitcoin, then a million dollars and $10 million and $100 million and a billion dollars, $10 billion. <laughs> like it should continue going up because again, let's think about this. 1.7 coins, 1.7 million coins remaining left on exchanges, 60 million millionaires. If, if, um, let's see, uh, uh, what is that? 3%, one in 30 roughly of those millionaires decide, you know, I want that 5% Bitcoin allocation. I want one Bitcoin, right? It's a massive psychological level. Everyone watching this knows this. They either remember the day they got to one Bitcoin or they're trying earnestly to get to one Bitcoin as fast as possible, right? Everyone likes a threshold of one Bitcoin, right? It sounds nice. You know, millionaires, when 3% of millionaires realize I want one Bitcoin, they'll go out, they'll buy one Bitcoin because for them it's just a 5% allocation. Then Bitcoin's price will go up. Then for the next batch of millionaires, it will take more like a 10% or 20% allocation to get to one Bitcoin, right? It, it, it's a feedback loop, right? Um, as people begin to realize, oh, being a whole coiner is going to be a rarefied error, it increases the incentive or urgency to buy that whole Bitcoin, right? So, so yeah, th there's going to be a vertical candle when exchanges are fully drained, right? <laughs> Which, again, people call me a shill because I work in the Bitcoin self-custody space. You know, again, I help people with their multi-sig take self-custody the Bitcoin. Like, literally every day, I help people withdraw their coins from exchanges. Like, I handhold them through that process, and it's one of my favorite things to do because I'm like, there goes another couple coins. There goes another half coin. There goes another 10 coins or whatever, yeah. right? You know, like, so my job literally is helping people handhold them through how to withdraw from exchanges. So, yes, I'm biased at promoting myself, but the reality is that even if you don't listen to me and work with me, like, get your coins off exchanges, right? Because that's going to be the first vertical spike is when the exchanges are drained. And they can be drained really quickly, right? When Bitcoin hit $40,000 in late 2023, uh, I think it was about 900000 eight to 900000 of the Bitcoins on exchanges traded hands. So half the Bitcoins traded hands in, in a 24-hour period after we hit $40,000. It's like people don't realize how few Bitcoins are on exchanges. So that's going to be the first vertical spike. Then simultaneously the ETF vertical spike, right? You know, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars there, right? Bitcoin skyrocketed 17% the day uh, Tesla, you know, Elon Musk's Tesla, bought $1.5 billion of Bitcoin, okay? A 17% vertical spike. Um, in 24 hours after that happened, that, that was one and a half billion dollars. Okay, if the ETFs are going to have 200 billion dollars, okay, what about 300 billion dollars? What about 500 billion dollars? Okay, we're talking about an amount of capital hundreds of times larger than the amount Tesla bought that pumped Bitcoin 17 percent in 24 hours. Okay, not factoring in printed currency, right? Not not factoring in you know, not factoring in the reality that there's less coins on exchanges, right? I mean, like people really need to start thinking this through. Like they're still buying altcoins because they think, oh, altcoins are going to go up faster than Bitcoin. It's like you do realize that Bitcoin's all-time high is sixty-nine thousand dollars in late twenty twenty-one. Already is eighty thousand, right? Like we're not near all-time high. The new all-time high in nominal terms is like roughly eighty thousand, eighty-one thousand dollars per Bitcoin, simply because the dollar is debased so much. Okay, that's the new benchmark Adjust for your all-time yeah. high. That's inflation for you. The new all-time high has already been moved up to that roughly 18, 19% mark, number one. Number two, you're talking about amount of capital hundreds of times larger than Elon Musk's buy via Tesla 
where Bitcoin pumped 17% in 24 hours with a larger amount of coins on exchanges, a much larger amount of coins on exchanges. Okay, Then you got to factor in, not only do you have the hundreds of billions of dollars of capital flowing in, but you're probably going to have at least a dozen other Michael Saylors in the world that not only are injecting new capital, but borrowing new money to buy Bitcoin. It's like people people don't think through the candle that's going to come in when <laughs> when exchanges are drained. Number one, then they don't anticipate the candle that's going to occur, and it may not occur at once. But the candles, let's say, that are going to occur in the following months, quarters, and years following the ETF approval, right? It, you know, may not be overnight, but it may be dozens of smaller overnights, right? It may not be you know a tripling in a single day, but it might be you know many months where it occurred. Yeah, yeah, it might, you know, so point being is that people aren't anticipating the millionaires, the, the 3% of millionaires wanting one coin. They aren't anticipating the corporate sector getting into Bitcoin and allocating what they themselves have said they're going to allocate. But again, all of that, all of that is going to be dwarfed by when the governments realize Bitcoin is a matter of national defense. Bitcoin is a matter of national uh, strategic defense for defending their electric grid, for strengthening their military, and empowering their economy so that they themselves can get reelected next year, right? The politician that has less blackouts for their people is going to get reelected. The politician that can get their military sector more money is going to get reelected, okay? When the politicians realize, and this is already happening, right? You know, I don't want to get into politics, but we see this with uh, Kennedy Jr. and uh, Robert Kennedy, and we see this with Vivek. You know, we have we we now have Bitcoin as a debate topic on the presidential stage, right? Kennedy has said that if he's elected, he wants to allocate potentially up to one percent of Treasury back and buy Bitcoin, right? Do I think he'll get elected? Probably not. Do I think he'll do that even if he's elected? Probably not. Do I think it's going to be close to 1%? No, probably not. That's not my point. My point is the Overton window is shifting. Okay. The millionaires are coming. Then the ETFs are coming. And then in the next few years, then the countries are coming, right? Okay. You may think your altcoin's cute. You may think the ETF is a big deal. <laughs> but the reality is that the governments can print into their own allocation. They will subsidize mining. Okay. They will subsidize mining and they will do all these things to mine as much Bitcoin as they can, acquire as much Bitcoin as they can and print as much political currency as it can. Again, Bitcoin is the fire insurance on the house that's already burning down. The faster the countries realize this is a matter of national strategic importance, the faster they print the currencies to acquire the Bitcoin, and they just do this indefinitely down to the bottom because it makes them stronger, right? Like Michael Saylor's whole... Michael Saylor's a big deal not because he's rich, but because he validates his point precisely. Michael Saylor dumps his own stock, MicroStrategy stock, onto shareholders all the time. He raises as much debt for MicroStrategy all the time, okay? Okay, he is creating money out of thin air by borrowing all this money, and he's dumping his own stock onto shareholders as much as possible to acquire more Bitcoin, okay? Despite that, his stock price goes up so much because as he's doing that, he's using Bitcoin to back it, right? It's like, people, that's what the countries are going to do too, okay? They're going to borrow as much money as they possibly can from themselves, from their citizens, from the rest of the world, from whoever, to buy Bitcoin, okay? And they're going to print as much political currency as they possibly can to buy Bitcoin, okay? And even though they're doing that, they will turn out to be the stronger nation because as they're using it to buy Bitcoin, as they're using it to mine more Bitcoin, their energy grid gets stronger, their cash flows improve, they become richer, their citizens and their institutions have a better means of saving, right? And so that's the, that's the counterintuitive thing people aren't factoring in here that, you know, like people say I'm too bullish, but it's like 
a million dollars is not bullish. $10 million is not bullish. And I, I'm like serious about that. You know, I mean, is it going to take time? Yes. Is it going to take years? Yes. Is it going to happen this cycle? No, probably not. Are there still going to be emotional cycles of fear and grid? Absolutely. But to to think that you could say with confidence, oh, the top for this upcoming cycle is going to be $120,000 US, I think that's silly. Like, you don't know. We, you You don't know. All it takes is one major corporation. All it takes is another 10 Michael Saylors, like 10 billionaires. Like, you really think you can predict what 10 out of the 2,500 billionaires on the planet are going to do? It's like, you really think you can predict the actions of the U.S. government? It's like, all it takes is one of these catalysts to send Bitcoin to hundreds of thousands of dollars per coin, right? Whether that's for a few minutes or whether that's permanently, you know, I don't know. But my, my, my rambling point here is that we have not seen something like this before in history. We've never seen a truly scarce asset like this. And you have to keep in mind that you can say, oh, this is just a bunch of hype and this is just a bunch of errors. But you have to keep in mind, look at the returns Bitcoin did the last 14 years or 15 years now. Okay, keep in mind, Bitcoin's supply basically, you know, hyperinflated during that time, right? We went from zero to 19 and a half million coins in the last 15 years, right? Okay, we had that kind of percentage gains returns in terms of U.S. dollars, despite the massive supply increase in Bitcoin. Okay, that supply increase is gone, right? That's not happening again. Okay, and for the first time in Bitcoin's history, we have supplies from exchanges draining. Okay, so really, we have not yet seen any supply shock for Bitcoin. And we are only just beginning the corporate sector adoption. We are only just beginning the billionaire class adoption. We are only just beginning the millionaire class adoption. And then eventually down the line, then we have the energy sector and the countries coming. And when those come, then it's all bets are off because they can print their own allocation. You don't have a money printer. So I highly encourage you to buy the thing that the money printers are going to print money for in the future. You know, And a lot of people watching this won't do that. And that's reality. Or they'll do it and they'll keep the coins on exchanges, Robinhood or, or Fortress Trust or Coinbase or whatever, because they don't understand what they own. You know, they, you know, they, they think that the right. locomotive is going to have legs like, like, like a horse. They, they don't understand. <laughs> they don't understand Bitcoin. And so they'll just keep it on an exchange because, you know, they don't understand what they have. But um, yeah, anyway. Right. I, I... As you said on Twitter recently that Bitcoin has no top because a fiat has no uh, bottom. And that is true in uh, theory, but in reality, uh, every single fiat currency like went to zero. So um, what do you think is going to happen when US dollar or like say euro or other major fiat currency drops to zero? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I guess I came off a little strong there. Yeah, I, I'm going to make clear, I guess. I don't think the US dollar is going to hyperinflate anytime soon. You know, I mean, again... There's over 120, 130, 140, however you want to define it, different political currencies in the world. The dollar is the strongest one of all of them by a, a large, large margin. You know, the strongest large, ones, yeah. you know, dollar, uh, you know, the Chinese currency, the UK, you know, the UK's currency, the euro, yeah. the euro Europe, um, and then the and then the Japanese, right? That's kind of the big five, big four, whatever. Uh, you know, so those definitely are not going anywhere anytime soon. But the other 100 plus political currencies, yeah, I don't think they have very long, right? They're, you know, of the 25 largest GDPs in the world, only two of them um, are their fiat currencies or political currencies trading at all time lows in terms of Bitcoin. Only two, Turkey and Argentina, right? 
The other 23, Bitcoin is still below its all-time high for them, right? So, yeah, to be very clear, that is a big deal because Turkey and Argentina are both D20 nations. They're both significant economies, right? You know, we're not talking El Salvador or Madeira anymore. These are big countries. Um, so on one hand, it's a big deal. But on the other hand, you have to keep in mind that we're a long ways off from the dollar hyperinflating or these other currencies hyperinflating, right? right? It's going to take many years, probably decades, probably not centuries, though, or probably not even a century, right? right? Like, it, it's it's going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. But hyperinflation only occurs when complete lack of trust in that currency is gone, right? And so, you know, people tomorrow are still going to have trust in the dollar, you know, even if we debase, even if we print money, even if we have another crisis and there's more like people with their lack of understanding today will still prefer the dollar. And so, no, hyperinflation does not happening anytime soon. But that doesn't change the message that eventually they are going to print their own allocation and Bitcoin's going to skyrocket and people are going to misinterpret Bitcoin skyrocketing when in reality is that the dollar is crashing. Right. Even if you look at the other uh, currencies like uh, Zimbabwe and the uh, Lebanon currency, Bitcoin is already like 510x from its 2021 all-time right. high. But, um, yeah, then I forgot what was my point. No, it's a good point. But see, uh, us spoiled Westerners, uh, we look at Lebanon or we look at Syria or we look at uh, you know Zimbabwe or Venezuela and we say, oh, those are poor countries. You know That can't happen to us, right? Because we're arrogant and and we're white and we're rich and we've always been arrogant, white and rich. So, you know, it, it, you know, I mean, that, that that's true with anyone in a developed nation, right? You know, anyone in America or Canada or Europe, you know, or, or you know, in wealthy parts of Asia, it's like we all think we're different, right? We think, oh, that only happens in places like Venezuela or places like Zimbabwe or places like Lebanon. But the reality is that people don't understand. It's simply a matter of feedback loops, and the only reason they are experiencing these feedback loops faster and more dramatically than you are is because the political regime that they reside in is weaker right america's political regime is much stronger than venezuela's so that's why venezuela has a stronger faster more dramatic collapse than america's but right. america's currency will follow the same suit I, I remember my point actually what, what i wanted to say is for example if u.s dollar like drops to zero i think uh, Bitcoin will automatically become unit of account, like all uh, goods and services will be priced in Bitcoin, maybe like one house is going to be like 0 0.1 BTC and so on and so maybe. forth. Um, what do yeah, you think about that? Yeah, if look? the dollar dropped to zero today, I don't maybe. think that would happen. I think it'd be chaos. Um, yeah. No, not today. Like maybe yeah, 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 years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's some Bitcoiners that are accelerationists and would say, you know, send the dollar to zero today so that we all could just use Bitcoin today. Um, number one, I don't think that will happen, <laughs> but number two, I don't think that would necessarily be a good thing either for Bitcoin or the rest of the world. Um, because frankly, Bitcoin, as much as Bitcoiners hate to hear it, Bitcoin, technologically speaking, is not ready for 5 billion users or, or maybe even 500 million, right? Like it, it's, it's just not ready, right? Layer one is not going to scale to the entire planet, which again is why if you have coins on exchanges, you should withdraw them. I keep saying that, but it's true. A lot of people watching... A lot of people watch my YouTube channel, even though I shout it like every video. And a lot of people watching your YouTube channel here, Amstone, you know, it's like a lot of these people haven't withdrawn from exchanges and they don't realize the world of hurt they're setting them up for. It's just ridiculous, you know, and then, and then they make fun of me for always talking about it. Then they come to me when they've lost all their money <laughs> <laughs> looking for help. Anyway, um, yeah, point being is that 
layer one is not going to scale to the entire planet. Layer two is nowhere near ready. Uh, it's happening. It's real. You know, like I said in El Salvador, I used layer two stuff all the time. I use it almost daily. Um, you know, and it's incredible. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, if the dollar went to zero today, we wouldn't be ready. It's gonna take many years. Got it. Look, look. So moving back to uh, Bitcoin ETF, as we know, uh, this year comes and we got what's today, December twenty first. We got like ten days left. So it seems like it's very likely that Bitcoin spot ETF will not be approved uh, this year. <laughs> and uh, what do you think? And when Bitcoin spot ETF? I, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to predict what people are going to do. I have no idea when Jerome Powell is going to print more dollars. I have no idea when they're going to approve the ETF. I have no idea when countries are going to get smart enough to integrate Bitcoin into electric grids. I have no idea when the next El Salvador is going to happen. They're going to adopt it as legal tender, right? I have no idea when the next China ban is going to happen, right? I have no idea what Elizabeth Warren is going to do, right? And so it's like, I'm not going to sit here <laughs> and say, I know what Bitcoin is going to do next week or it's going to do next month or even what it's going to do next year, yeah. right? I think any given day, any given year, it's going to be more probable than not that Bitcoin is going to be higher than current price, right? Even if Bitcoin adoption stays flat, even if um, every, even if everything stays flat in terms of Bitcoin's um, number of adopters today. Okay, number one, there's more dollars. So again, $81,000 is the new $69,000. That is the new real all-time high um, in, in nominal terms, you know, well, nominal real terms. Um you know, so that's the first thing to consider. And then the second thing to consider is that we have the halving coming up. So you don't need new adoption. You don't need more people to change their minds. Just with the number of people that have already changed their minds, just from the debasement of the dollar and the, the halving of Bitcoin, like Bitcoin will probably be going up next year. Now to your question at the ETF, I've got no idea. I'm hearing lots of rumors um, of January. I'm I'm doing everything I can to help my clients um, get their multi-sig vaults done before then for that particular reason. I, I tell them all the time that, hey, I'm not going to predict when it's going to happen, but people seem to think January, February, it's going to happen of next year. And so I really want to prepare before then because I do think that's going to be a reckoning for the people um, still with coins on exchanges. I think they're going to panic. I think they're going to withdraw quickly. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a dramatic upwards movement for Bitcoin. Uh, throughout 2024, you know, again, I don't think it's necessarily overnight, but I do think it's many nights of continued strong upwards movement. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't know when the ETF is going to be approved. I don't know when all this other stuff is going to happen, but I do know that they're already making ads for the ETF. I do know that Sailor is pretty confident the ETF is a done deal. Um, I do know a lot of bankers that are saying it's going to happen. Um, you know, so maybe it doesn't. But I think more probable than not that it's going to happen pretty soon. And then I think once it does happen, more probable than not is that Bitcoin just keeps going up and it's going to go higher faster than what consensus is. Whatever consensus is, I think it's probably going to be higher and probably going to be faster than that. Got it. What do you think is going to be more influential, a Bitcoin having or Bitcoin spot ETF? Well... Yeah, ETF, ETF. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard because like you have to say the having because that's kind of the whole point is having a fixed number of bitcoins. So I mean, yes, the having, but not this specific having. Let's say just a larger principle of the having is a much bigger deal. But I mean, yeah, as far as ETF, yeah, it's no competition. I mean, you know, we're talking about hundreds of billions of dollars of capital inflows into 
58 billion dollars worth of bitcoin on exchanges it's like you got to be an idiot to tell me it's not going to force price to go up right and, and, and people need to understand this too is that price is set at the margin okay if you have 58 billion dollars of new capital chasing 58 billion dollars of bitcoin remaining on exchanges market cap for bitcoin is not going to go up 58 billion dollars it's going to go up much much more right and I, I, I'm going to say yeah. this and outline this because people all the time, you know, again, Bitcoin's going to go up faster than consensus because, frankly, the consensus is delusion. The consensus is, oh, if a dollar goes into Bitcoin, the market cap goes up a dollar. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. That's delusional. It makes no sense. That's not how markets work. It's something that it's, it's something that people don't understand how money works says, right? Oh, Bitcoin can't go to a million dollars because there's not enough money in the world, right? Like that that's a delusional take, right? I mean, you can think that Bitcoin's not going to a million dollars for whatever reason, but to say it's not going to a million dollars because there's not enough money in the world, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely a silly argument, right? If if you're going to buy a house in a neighborhood, you know, if you're injecting $100,000 of capital into buying a house, the market cap of all those houses in the neighborhood is not going to go up $100,000. It's going to go up more like a million dollars, maybe even $10 million, right? Like with Bitcoin, when you are buying Bitcoin off exchanges and injecting new cash, new liquidity, the, the total value of all those Bitcoins in aggregate goes up by orders of magnitude. You know, Bank of America says it's 118x to 1. Okay, others have reported more recently it's more like 220x to 1. I think eventually it will be thousands, maybe tens of thousands <laughs> in the far enough future, right? It's like... Okay, $58 billion worth of Bitcoins remaining on exchanges, okay? We are adding about $50 billion of unfunded liabilities to the United States every 24, 30 hours or so. And we have hundreds of billions of dollars from the ETFs. It's like, that's the bigger catalyst. You know, you factor in a multiplier effect of price being set at the margins. Yeah, p people think $100,000 of Bitcoin is bullish. $100,000 of Bitcoin is not bullish, right? 80K is the new all-time high. It's the level we reached two years ago. $100,000 is just a 20% move from there. And yet, I still know people sitting on the sidelines waiting for 20K. You know? They're the same people a year ago that were waiting for 12K or 10K. It's like, like, like yeah. they're idiots. I'm sorry, but but they are. They, they are not allocating yeah. wisely if they have the vast majority of their wealth in cash. If they're, wait, if they're speculating on a price drop, if they're speculating on a credit event. Because it's like, okay, let, let, let's look at the lockdowns of 2020, right? That, that was just a few weeks. It was a 60% crash of Bitcoin. That's what people are waiting for. But okay, you have to keep in mind, that was a few weeks crash for Bitcoin, right? And, and the harder Bitcoin crashes, aka the harder the recessionary event, the more money they print, the faster it recovers, right? So even if Bitcoin crashes, like Bitcoin very well might crash 30%, 50% from here. I have no idea. Like I'm not going to predict that. And that's why I don't trade. I don't recommend anyone trade. But, but the reality is that even if it does, it's just going to recover. And you better have your money in line. You better have it in line really quickly. And you better not be emotional enough in the midst of that crash to to not hold anything back, right? I mean, it's just, you know, my encouragement for people is to get off zero, start buying Bitcoin, and temper expectations on the timeline, right? This is going to take years. But don't temper expectations on price because there's no unreasonable fiat exchange rate. Like Bitcoin could be ten million dollars a coin, way way sooner than we realize. You know, it may it may take a long time, but on the other hand, it may not, because you can't predict human emotions. So.
anyway, that was a long answer. Long answer short, ETF definitely. Hundreds of billions of dollars chasing, t chasing tens of billions of dollars of Bitcoin with the multiplier effect. Yeah, the ETF is a huge deal. But the having alone, that's enough for at least Bitcoin to triple from here. You know, so having alone is a big deal, but ETF's bigger. Got it. Look, so we're coming to the end. So let me ask sure. you that last question: uh, Why Bitcoin and not uh, yeah, altcoins? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm pro altcoins. Um, if they can be a better Bitcoin, I'm just not convinced that they can be a, a better Bitcoin yet. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, like you know, if if we were having this conversation in the late 20th century about the internet, you know, like I'm pro freedom. I'm pro other forms of the internet. Right? Like you know, people keep innovating, keep developing, keep building, but until you can convince me that your little internet that has one one hundredth of the market cap and one ten thousandth of of the users and one millionth of the energy backing it um, is better than Bitcoin, then then I'm 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 going to stick with Bitcoin, right? Um, you know, in my opinion, Bitcoin has just as high of an upside, if not higher upside, right? Like, let's be real, Larry Fink is not going to promote Shiba, okay? Like XRP <laughs> is not going to be a component of the global electric grid. Right. Okay. Binance token is not a matter of national security to the United States. All right. I mean, like, so the reality is that we're at the point where real adoption is starting, right? The last few cycles, we did not have real adoption. Okay. We are on the precipice of real adoption and with real adoption comes real money. And that real adoption with real money, in my opinion, is going to go to the real asset. And that is Bitcoin, right? So people can do what they want. I'm not going to tell them to not. Uh, speculate in altcoins, but for me, I would not speculate in altcoins. I would not speculate in uh, meme stocks. You know, a couple cycles ago, that narrative uh, maybe makes sense, but now that we are on the precipice of real adoption, um, to me, that does not make sense. And people cry baby about, you know, oh, well, Bitcoin's market cap is 100 times larger. It's like, yeah, but Michael Saylor has a thousand times more money than a thousand of you put together. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, the, yeah, yeah, yes, Bitcoin's market cap is bigger. But the reality is that I think the upside for Bitcoin is just as high as altcoins in the midterm and orders of magnitude higher in the long term. You know, again, if a country is going to print its own currency into oblivion in order to transition into the new currency, they are only going to do that when they are sure that it's the right move to make. They are not going to do that with a token that can be turned off from an, in, from an institution, right? They're not going to do it with Ethereum. Because now their own self-destruction of their currency is dependent on Vitalik, Buterin, and, you know, the Ethereum Foundation, right? Like, like that's just the reality, right? Yeah. And that's what's going to happen with Bitcoin. Again, you see presidential candidates already touting this idea in the U.S. You see other countries being much more vocal about this to a much smaller degree, right? Like, this is happening. Yes, on an individual scale, it might feel like it's happening in slow motion, but it's, it's happening. And um, in, in my opinion, Bitcoin is way way ahead any potential competition you know if there is an altcoin or if there is another token um that can prove it's more immutable than bitcoin that has more energy backing it uh, that has a longer track record and that has a more enticing uh utility than fixing political whims associated with money then i will become very pro that form of money right but the reality is that proof of stake is proof of politics that's what it is. The problem is political yeah. money. That's, That's the problem right that we're trying to solve, right? And so 
um, you know, proof of work versus proof of stake, people watching may think, oh, there's a use case for both. Yeah, there's a use case for both. There, there's a use case for proof of politics. The best proof of politics, proof of stake coin is the dollar, right? So you should not be going out and buying tokens of some small, you know, offshore company. Like you should buy proof of stake, proof of politics of the U.S. government, right? Because it's got the biggest guns. It's got the biggest army. And they're not going to print their own currency into Bolivian just to benefit the political system of a different regime. They are only going to print their political currency into Bolivian if they are swallowing and accepting the reality that political currencies themselves are on the way out and they have to adopt the apolitical money. Bitcoin is the apolitical money. It's for the Russians that are invading Ukraine. It's for the Ukrainians that are escaping Russia. It's for the Americans. It's for the Chinese. It's for the billionaires. It's for the, the world's poor, right? Like apolitical money is for everyone. And so everyone's going to buy it. The political monies of these altcoins, the political currencies of these countries are only for the citizens of those institutions or those countries, right? That's why Bitcoin is far, far more bullish. And again, I mean that genuinely, right? You got to keep in mind, if everyone is buying Bitcoin, the multiplier is much, much higher for Bitcoin versus a token where the multiplier is much, much lower because you have a zero-sum trade, right? The people buying and the people selling, right? The VCs dumping their tokens, the people buying their tokens, right? So I, I think if we have a recession, Bitcoin is going to fall much lower than the altcoins. I think if the ETF is approved, Bitcoin is going to skyrocket much higher than the altcoins, right? There will be altcoins that for periods of time, uh, whether that's weeks or that's months or that maybe that's even a couple years, will invalidate that trend. But I do believe that's going to be the trend. Bitcoin is a dominant asset. Um, you know, if we are in the late 90s and we have various forms of the internet, the internet that's going to win is the apolitical internet that's open to everyone, TCP, IP. The internet you and I are talking on right now, the people that are watching this video are listening on right now. That is the internet that's going to win and it's going to absorb everything. You know, in the late 90s, you may be bullish the internet, but you can't picture two dudes talking about magic internet money in video format, HD, <laughs> across the planet with thousands of people watching, right? It's simply not imaginable, right? Um, you know, so my point is that the centralized internets are not going to win. The, the, the centralized forms of technology are not going to win because that is the problem that's attempting to be solved. And I believe Bitcoin solved that. Um, I believe Bitcoin reached escape velocity many years ago. And I think it's just going to continue to become more and more obvious that that's the reality. And therefore that's going to require a higher and higher allocation from larger and larger net worth individuals, right? So, you know, again, perhaps I made that point a little too heavy handed, um, but yeah, I'm pro altcoins if they can prove to me that they're better, but so far, they, they well, can. yeah, so far <laughs> nothing has been able to prove it, right? So if you're watching this and you own altcoins because you want to sell it for more profits later to buy more Bitcoin, like do what you want, I don't care, you know, like, but that's smart. Like, again, I work at the Bitcoin Advisor. Yeah, I'll show myself one more time. But, it, you know, it's true. Like, I do dozens of calls. Well, sometimes a dozen calls a day. But I, I do numerous calls of people, okay? Almost all of them have tried at some point to to trade altcoins for more Bitcoin or to get yield for more Bitcoin. Or, <laughs> or they had it on this exchange, right? It's like my job, again, is to help people withdraw coins to self-custody because that's really important. My job is to help people set up a multi-sig vault because that's really important. And... I'm telling you, I do meet people that have made profits from trading these altcoins for Bitcoin, but even they tell me that it was not worth it. Most of them tell me it wasn't worth it because it was so much stress and so much money. They're like, I just wish I would have gone overtime at my job Yeah, exactly. because it would have been more efficient 
and I wouldn't have been so stressed, right? Or it was it was a damage on my relationship with this set. Yeah. So anyway, point point is it's a little heavy-handed. People could do what they want, but get off zero, get some Bitcoin. Once you get some Bitcoin, get it to self-custody, get it to cold storage, get it to multi-sig. If you want to reach out to me, I'm happy to help. You do that. Uh, we can do it on a one-on-one call. Um, you know, and with the altcoins, like I I would avoid them um, if I were you, and never be bearish on Bitcoin fiat price because again, there is no top to Bitcoin because there's no bottom to fiat. Yeah. Right. Look, uh, just to um, exp explain what you mm -hmm. just said in the one world, I think one word, I think uh, Bitcoin is way more superior compared to altcoins because of decentralization. Correct. Some people, that's like, I think the, mo the most important property of Bitcoin, even some people say it could be fixed supply, but if it's not decentralized, you can, um, change the supply, it's going to be whatever. So I think, yeah, decentralization is probably the most fundamental uh, property yeah. of Bitcoin. Uh, anyway, uh, look, so we came to the end. Uh, where can people find you online? Um, yeah, they, they can find me at, um, they can find me at the Bitcoin advisor. So the Bitcoin advisor, uh, com. they can book a meeting with me, free meeting, there's no pressure. Um, you know, again, my job is to help people with self custody Bitcoin. Uh, I think it's really important. The three things in Bitcoin I say they're scarce. Number one are the Bitcoins themselves. Number two is block space on the time chain or blockchain. Number three is time with the Bitcoiner, right? So I, I've been a little heavy handed with the self custody uh, narrative in my videos recently and in this podcast, but I'm doing it because the ETF is coming. And when it comes, if you have your coins on exchanges, you should consider them gone. Okay. So. Get it to self-custody, reach out I'll to me, Bitcoin Advisor, I'm happy to help, or do it on your own, I don't care, just do it. So thank you for having me on, I really appreciate it. Of course, look, uh, what yeah, is yeah, your yeah, Twitter Yeah, Twitter, my name, Luke, L-U-K-E, Broyles, B-R-O-Y-L-E-S. If they can find me on Twitter or YouTube, I'm very active on, on both, to the best of my ability when I have time, uh, which again, I have less and less time, it seems, anymore. But uh, but yeah, I've got some great, great projects coming up. People are going to really like. Uh, I've got a massive project about the history of political currencies, the last 4,000 years history of political currencies uh, coming out soon. So um, yeah, people should check it out and subscribe. It's going to be great. Got it, guys. I will leave all the links in the description box below. Look, once again, thank you so much. Thank for you for doing having this. me. Really appreciate it. I look, so we're done. I'm going to stop it, but then I think we have to wait.